Today we continue our series looking at our core values. We've entitled Strengthening Our Core. And here at Foothill, there are five core values that we hold as precious and as central to who we are and what we do. And we want to strengthen that as we come into this new year, that we want these core values to be about us, not just historically, but moving forward as well. And so we are looking at these that we might uh, live them out better in this coming year. We first examined our devotion to Jesus Christ. Last week we looked at and explored why we are determined to obey the Bible. And this morning we'll consider the core value of dedication to prayer. Dedication to prayer. Now as Christians... We have somewhat of a complicated relationship to prayer. We generally like it. We usually do it at some level. And we know it's important. If we were all taking a survey in which we were asked, is prayer important? We would probably all mark the yes box. And yet, is it not one of, if not the, most neglected Christian practices. <coughs> what is prayer? When we talk about praying, what is it? Well, obviously, most broadly, we're talking about speaking to God, speaking with God. So our Christian prayer is us talking to the triune God revealed in the Bible, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But prayer is more than just Speaking information to God, kind of <coughs> delivering it to Him. It is, prayer is our relationship with God in action. It is this communing with God. It is relationship with Him that plays itself out in the activity of prayer. Specifically, prayer is a response to God. God in terms of life and in terms of this universe, is the initiator. God spoke and he then created. There was nothing beforehand until he spoke. And now there is all that is. He is the creator of all things. He spoke his word, which we have inscripturated and written down for us, handed down through the centuries. And it's as we hear his word, that then we respond to who he is and what he's done in prayer. Therefore, true prayer requires us to know God truly, that we might respond to him truly. We can't just pray however we want to, hoping that it somehow reaches the celestial gates. We've got to know who the God is that we're addressing to see that our prayer is true. We need to know God better so that we can address Him better. The clearer our understanding of who God is, the better our prayers. And where do we get a clear understanding of God? It's from His Word, right? We know Him through His Word. And so the point is then, our prayer must be intricately connected to the scriptures. As we read about who God is, we then flow in a response back to Him. As we 
read the Word of God, we come to know the living and true God in a deeper way. And this leads us to speak to Him in all sorts of ways. Sometimes in praise, in exclamation, in joy. Sometimes in deep lament, in tears. Sometimes in profound thanksgiving for all that He's done. In many other ways. And it's this communion with the living God that marks the great privilege of prayer. It's a greater privilege than having an audience with a president or a king. It's a greater privilege than having fame or wealth. It's the greatest privilege that any person on earth can have. And yet it's available to us in Christ. The privilege of prayer is not simply that we know that our mail will get delivered to God, but that we can personally speak with the Creator of the universe. And yet, in light of the great privilege that prayer is, we can so often neglect to take advantage of such a great privilege. We often neglect or avoid prayer. And, and part of that is because it's difficult, is it not? Prayer is just hard. In one sense, it's simple enough for children to be able to do. And yet, it can confound the most mature saints. What is it that makes it so difficult? Well, if you're anything like me, I think the things that make it difficult for me is sometimes it's hard to find the words. All right, I'm going to pray. It's like that blinking cursor on the screen, right? <laughs> like, okay, there's nothing, nothing coming here. Which then results in the problem of trying to stay focused, right? You're trying to think of the words, and then you're suddenly distracted by something because your brain is just empty. Which then results in the problem that we don't persevere. We give up after 30 seconds. Uh... And we're off and, uh, I don't know, and we, we go on all of a second. It's also hard to find time to pray. And yet we know, like anything else in life, if, if, if it's important to us, we'll find a way to make it happen. If it's not important, we'll find an excuse. And so if prayer is important, we've got to find a way and make it happen. And yet prayer, as John Piper, Pastor John Piper has said, is so un-American to, as he says, as a pastor, to kneel down next to his desk, stacked with books and papers and correspondence and all this stuff, and to say, I'm going to put all that aside so that I can kneel and pray, feels like you're not getting anything done. It feels like you're putting your life on pause, and you're neglecting something else important just to pray. And yet, prayer is doing something, and prayer is important. I think one of the, the things that makes prayer hard as well is the fact that as we go to pray for God's purposes and we pray for others in our lives, our selfishness is revealed. We frankly just don't care enough about the other people in our lives and that we would devote time and stay focused and plead with God on their behalf. We might shoot up a quick prayer that's about all the spiritual energy we can muster for them. And 
But anytime we get close to living God, it's convicting for us. We shouldn't be surprised that in prayer it's the same way. And so prayer is hard, and yet it's glorious, and yet it's a privilege. It's difficult, and yet it's necessary and important. The 19th century English bishop J.C. Ryle wrote the following. He said, prayer is the most important subject in practical religion, simply meaning the practice of, of the Christian life. All other subjects are second to it. Reading the Bible, listening to sermons, attending public worship, going to the Lord's table, all these are very important matters, but none of them are so important as private prayer. Now you could quibble with what he puts first and second, but you get the point. That for us to commune with the living God is vitally important for our spiritual health. And so church, we need to pray. And we need to pray better. And so, as we think about this core value of dedication to prayer, I want us to think about how do we strengthen this? As we come to this new year, how do we strengthen this dedication to prayer? And I want to answer that question this morning by suggesting four ways that we can improve our praying. Four simple ways that we can improve our praying. And some of them may not, one or two points may not be helpful for you, the other two might be helpful, but take what really hits you this morning and run with that, and you might be a better prayer in this new year. The first way that we can improve our praying is to pray regularly. <coughs> pray regularly. Our core value underneath dedicated to prayer, says we understand that powerful prayer as a church family begins with individuals who pray faithfully. Powerful prayer as a church begins with individuals who pray faithfully. And this idea of praying faithfully is found all throughout the scriptures. Jesus told his disciples that they were to always pray and not lose heart in Luke 18. Paul exhorted the Colossians to continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in with thanksgiving in Colossians 4, verse 2. So the Christian life is not to be one with sporadic prayer that we find kind of here and there, but the Christian life is to be one defined by regular, consistent prayer. And so we have to ask ourselves, do we pray faithfully as individuals? Do we pray regularly and faithfully? Is it a habit of your life? Can you say that you daily commune with God? Now, if you're like me or and most Christians, questions about our prayer life are usually the quickest to induce guilt and feelings of inadequacy. We know instinctively that we should be praying more, that we're not praying enough. I think one of the reasons we don't pray more is that we don't plan to pray. We plan to see our doctors. We plan to go on vacation. We plan to hang out with friends. But for all of our planning and all of our calendars on our devices and, and day timers and planners and books, most of us don't plan our praying. And therefore, we often fail 
to participate in this in any sustained way. And this can be the case both privately and publicly. Not only do we as individuals not plan prayer into our days, but as groups of Christians, we can fail to work prayer into our gatherings. In fact, corporate prayer is increasingly rare in churches these days. I'm grateful for how much we pray in our worship services, but we must continue to make it a priority, as God has commanded us to. But even in our other gatherings, take small groups, for example. If we're not careful, prayer in small groups can easily be a perfunctory open and close of our time together and a quick little blessing and thank you, and then we're off. Rather than any sort of sustained prayer together. We must be sure that we pray on a regular basis. And so I, I just ask you, before, between you and the Lord, do you pray privately? Do you set aside time to pray? Do you spend time when it's just you and the Lord? And there's no special place that we have to go to to do that. That can be anywhere. But do you spend time just you and the Lord? I also ask, do you pray with other Christians? At your small group meeting, or maybe when you get together for coffee with a friend during the week, do you pray? Is prayer just a part of your Christian life? That, of course, we're bringing everything to God in prayer. Folks, we must pray. We are the children of God. We have the access. We have the privilege. We simply must make it of high value for us. If we want to know God better, then we've got to do that with an open Bible on our knees. If we want to see our children know the Lord, then we must ask the Lord to change their hearts. If we want to grow in holiness ourselves and for the people around us, we must ask that God work in us. If we want to see any change in our lives or in the world, we must pray. We can't just have a strong desire for it. We just bring it before the Lord. Just make it a priority. Again, I quote J.C. Ryle. He says, This only I say, that it is essential to your soul's health to make praying a part of the business of every 24 hours of your life. Just as you allot time to eating, sleeping, and business, so also allot time to prayer. Choose your own hours and seasons. At the very least, speak with God in the morning before you speak with the world. And speak with God at night after you have done with the world. But settle it in your minds that praying is one of the great things of every day. Do not drive it into the, a corner. Do not give it the scraps and the pairings of your duty. Whatever else you make a business of, make a business of prayer. So I exhort you this morning, how are you going to work greater prayer into your life this year? Maybe you set a reasonable goal. Don't Try to be the hour-long prayer warrior. Start with 10 minutes. And, and maybe open a psalm and, and allow that to be a prompt for how you want to pray. Praising God for the characteristics of God that you see in the text. 
finding requests that you want to pray. Saying, God, I want to glorify you like the psalmist does. And maybe using that then as a prayer for your children, for your family, and for those around you. Maybe the mornings might be best for you. Maybe it's during a lunch break at work. One thing I've found helpful is prayer walks. Is to simply go out, hit the, hit the sidewalks, and pray out loud. And try not to look like a crazy person. <laughs> uh, if you have a Bluetooth in your ear, it kind of helps. <laughs> Bluetooth talking to God. Uh, whatever it takes to get, get alone with God. <laughs> and pour out your soul. God wants to hear from us. He loves to hear from his children. And we simply need, he's there anytime. You don't have to, you don't have to make an appointment. You don't have to go and sit in a waiting room. You can access him and come to him at any time. Let's take advantage of it, friends. And so if we're going to pray better this year, we first must pray regularly. But the second way that we can pray better is that we need to pray fervently. Pray fervently or earnestly. It's similar to fervently. Our core value says also that we understand that passionate prayer as a church demonstrates our recognition of God's power and our dependence upon His provision. In this way, we don't just want to go through the motions of prayer. We don't just want to check it off our list and say, oh yeah, I prayed. Good, I'm done. We don't just want to perform prayers. We want to pray, right? I mean, at the core of our being as a Christian, we want to commune with God. We want that close intimacy with Him. We want to feel near to Him and not distant. And so we come to prayer with that desire. The Puritan said we have to pray until we pray. Which means we've got to go through the activity of praying sometimes until it breaks through and our hearts break and are, and are earnest in what we're asking and praying for. And so often we, we, we pull the ripcord before we even get there. don't want to fall under the indictment that Jesus gave the Pharisees in Mark 7 where he says, this people honors me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. We don't just want to honor God with our mouths and with our prayers, we want our hearts fully, completely engaged in our prayer to God. And so I ask you, brothers and sisters, how is your heart in prayer? Is it engaged? Do you really care for what you pray for? Could someone listen to your prayers and draw the conclusion that you intimately know the one you're speaking to and you deeply care about the request that you're saying? We need to look then at what does it mean for us to pray earnestly? What does it mean for our hearts to be engaged? I want to suggest a few things. First is passion. First is passion. And you can open your copy of God's Word and let's turn to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 
verses 11 and 12, and these come in the midst of, midst, uh, in the midst of some exhortations that Paul is giving to the church there in Rome on things that should characterize the Christian life, their transformed life. And he says in verse 11, Romans 12, 11, Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Here, I believe, as Paul is trying to exhort the Christians there, he's recognizing that there's something at the core of the Christian that should fundamentally characterize them, and that is this zeal, which zeal is, and the, the Greek word there means to boil. There should be a red hotness to the heat of a, of a Christian's love for Christ. At the the heart of every Christian, there should be this burning furnace of love for Jesus that then should manifest itself in our prayers. Now, this does not mean that in fervency and in zeal and in passion, doesn't mean it has to look a certain way. And I want to very caution against this, that, that you don't think, oh, my passion has to look like so-and-so's passion. And that we don't start judging other people's passion that doesn't look a certain way because it doesn't look like my passion. Passion plays itself out in a lot of different ways. But we each need to ask ourselves, are, do we have zeal for the Lord? Are we fervent in spirit? Is that zeal coming through in our prayers? Are we passionate for the Lord? <coughs> so if we're to be earnest in our prayers, you must have a degree of zeal and passion and fervency, and we can ask the Lord that He would produce that in us. The second thing that is included in earnestness is a seriousness. A seriousness. There's passion and seriousness. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4. There's a way to be whipped up into a frenzy and have all the passion in the world and yet still not have passion the right way. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7. Peter says, The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. This idea of being sober-minded, of being serious, we live in a world absorbed with triviality. And through all the advertisement and marketing departments across our nation, they're trying to convince you that to buy this product or be engaged in this thing is really important and really serious for you. And yet, it's the most silly thing in the world. And you see, if we occupy ourselves with these trivial things and frivolous things, then we will not be engaged in earnest prayer. To devote our lives to things that do not matter in eternity and then to try to come to prayer, it's not going to work. 
If we're to have our hearts fully engaged in prayer, then we must be sober-minded about the day, about the hour, about what our responsibility is, about what is going on around us. And the Bible gives us plenty of reasons to be sober-minded. We're reminding you of a few. Ephesians 5.16, the days are evil. 1 Peter 5.8, our adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Ephesians 6, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Or think about eternity as expressed in 2 Thessalonians 1. When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels and flaming fire, he will inflict vengeance on those who do not know God, on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. And they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. Friends, heaven and hell are real. Eternity is at stake. And that must factor into our prayers. And make us serious about what we pray for. Serious about our own heart. Serious about our family and those around us. Not only should our earnestness have passion and seriousness, but also dependence. Dependence. Turn to Psalm 127. Psalm 127. Solomon here gives us a fundamental principle of the believing life. He says in Psalm 127, verse 1, Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. And here we see this dynamic that there is, unless God is involved, unless God is actively involved in what we're praying for, it's going to fail. And this brings together two attributes of God. The first is that he's completely sovereign over all. This earth is his, and he can do whatever he pleases. And secondly, is that he's all powerful, and he can do whatever he wants, and nothing can stay his hand. Abundant power is his. And so, Therefore, because he can do whatever he wants, and he's got all power to do it, and he's good, we can pray to him, we depend upon him to act and to work. And so we recognize in this principle that unless the Lord is involved, it's, it's, it's going to fail. We must go in dependence upon the Lord and ask him to work in all these things. Because unless he's involved, it's not going to happen. must work. And if he doesn't, then we are lost. You see, if you if you simply are bringing your sick child to a doctor, and you're, and you're asking for help and, and diagnosis, and there's going to be a certain desperation that may be there, but think of the fact that he is the only doctor that has the only antidote for the sickness your child has. Think of how greater you're going to plead on his behalf to that doctor. Think of how more earnest your requests are going to be. Because only he can provide the help 
it's the same is true with God and all of our needs. Only God can provide these for us. Only God can move the hearts of men. Only God can provide when all else seems lost. And so we pray with earnestness, depending completely upon Him. The fourth aspect of our earnestness, though, is persistence. With passion, seriousness, dependence, and persistence. We don't just have a, a flash in the pan in our earnestness. It's not just that we have this great burst of passion for one prayer. We continue on with it. Turn with me to Luke chapter 18. Jesus tells a parable to teach us this very lesson. That we must stay at it. That we cannot lose heart. That we must be persistent in our praying. Luke chapter 18, verses 1 through 8. It says, And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice, so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Friends, Jesus is teaching us here that we must be persistent like the widow in this parable. Would you say that the, the actions of this widow characterize your actions in prayer? A continual banging on the door of heaven, asking that God would work, feeling even maybe that you are bothering God at your continual coming. That's what Jesus is exhorting here. Not just one pound and we walk away, but a banging and a beating, knowing that there is not an unrighteous judge on the other side. And knowing that there is a loving Father that loves to work for His children. And he asks us to continue so that our own hearts are built up in the action of praying. Our faith is built as we pray. We grow as we continually plead. We continue to trust as we keep bringing those requests before God. That's why Jesus asks, will the Son of Man find faith when he comes to the earth? Or is he going to find people that don't believe that God's going to answer the door so they don't even knock him? Folks, if we are going to be earnest in our prayers, if our hearts are going to be fully engaged, we've got to keep at it. We can't lose heart knowing that God is there listening to our prayers. And the reality is that Jesus himself exampled this very reality. Again, the, the, the concept of Jesus praying is enough for, 
its own sermon for us to meditate upon. For the Son of God to be here on earth, to be 100% divine, and yet he's praying. What does that teach us? But we read in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 7, that in the days of his flesh, he offered up prayer with, and supplication with strong crying and tears. With strong crying. J.C. Ryle one more time for you. He says, Alas, how unlikely is this to many of our supplications? How tame and lukewarm they seem by comparison. How truly might God say to many of us, you do not really want what you pray for. Let us try to amend this fault. Let us knock loudly at the door of grace. Friends, only God knows our hearts. Our earnest prayers cannot be performance. We can't muster up emotion just to get God to look at us. It doesn't work that way. He wants true faith in the inner being expressed through our prayers. But our sovereign, mighty, loving, welcoming Father invites us, His children, earnestly with him in prayer. And as Ryle said, let us knock loudly and persistently at that door of grace. Because we know there's a loving Father on the other side. So we can improve our praying, number one, by praying regularly. Secondly, by praying earnestly. Thirdly, this morning, by praying biblically. By praying biblically. Our core value says we understand that purposeful prayer ignites our love for one another and our devotion to God's kingdom work. What this means is that our prayers must be purposeful. They must be about the right things, directed toward the right purpose. Because God does not answer every prayer. He does not agree with every request. If our, in order for our prayers to be met with the blessing of God, they need to be biblically shaped and be shaped by the will of God. And so I want to suggest for us this morning and give you just a, a, a helpful model of biblical prayer. If you're wondering, okay, what are the things that need to be involved in my prayers in order to see them biblically shaped? There's an acronym that has been passed down and, and used in many circles that I think is still helpful. It's the ACTS acronym or ACTS. Many of you may know of this and use it yourself. This acronym not only provides a good list of essential biblical elements of prayer, but it can also be a helpful order in which to pray them. If you're sitting down and going, okay, what do I pray for first? This little acronym can help you. It's not rigid. There's not a Bible verse you can point to to say you have to go through this order. I simply give it as a helpful guide uh, for you. The first is the A, which stands for adoration. Adoration. We need to include in our prayers, simply praise to God. Prayer is a response to who God is, and part of that response and the key element of that is worship. Who is this God? He's the great one above all. There's no, none compared to Him. And you simply need to go to the Psalms for inspiration of that. If you're wondering, how do I adore God? Open up the Psalms and read about how you can ascribe glory and praise to Him. 
So often we can jump to our needs and our requests. So often we can even jump to thanksgiving about what God gives us, which those things aren't wrong, and we'll get to those. But often what can be neglected is just simple praise. In other words, telling God who He is and delighting in the fact that there is none like Him. It's a, point, it's a, a period of, of celebration that we get to know and praise this God. We want to magnify the Lord. So A is adoration. Secondly is C, confession. Confession. And again, if you're going in order here, the point is after you contemplate the perfect, righteous holiness of God, then you turn to yourself and recognize that's not me. <laughs> I'm not holy and perfect in all those ways. I fall so short, and that should lead us to a point of biblical confession. To humbly confess our sin to God. Confession. Friends, it is not just something that we do when we first become a Christian, that we repent of our sin, and now we just live this Christian life. Confession is a regular part of our walk with Jesus. Because we see sin every day, all the time. We need to repent regularly and consistently. We confess our sin and our disobedience. We express Contrition for the ways that we've trampled on His grace and disregarded His word and lived according to what we want to do rather than following what the Lord wants us to do. And we have the promise that if we confess our sins, 1 John 1 9, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So we confess knowing that forgiveness is offered in grace. So we have adoration. Confession T is thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. We need to be a thankful people. There's no time to look at all the expressions of or commands to thanksgiving in the Bible, even just in the New Testament. That once we realize all that God has done for us through Jesus, our hearts should be overflowing with thanksgiving. And so that should regularly be on our tongue. thank God for the gospel and what he's done for us in Jesus. We do what Psalm 106, 1 says, that we give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. We should be a thankful people. But fourthly is S, stands for supplication. Kind of a big word that simply means requests. Things that we are asking God and this can often take up the bulk of our prayers to God. But, and God asks us that we bring our requests. And that we don't have to feel bad about doing that. God doesn't reproach us for coming to ask for things. As James 1 verse 5 says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives generously to all without reproach. <laughs> God doesn't make fun of us for asking. I mean, he has every right to do so. Because we're weaklings and we and, and, and we fail, we, we don't have resources in our, of ourselves. We and yet we come and say, ask God for wisdom. We ask God for blessing. We ask God for help, and He smiles every time we come. As, a ch as children going to the Father, He loves to answer our prayers in this fashion. And so this is where we begin to pray for ourselves. We pray for our families, for our church, for our nation, for the world. 
Bring these requests before the Lord. But what are the kind of things that we should ask God for? Can we ask God for anything? Certainly, we, the main principle is that we want to align our requests with God's word. We should never ask God of something that goes against what God has given us in his word. But apart from that, the sky's the limit. And we can bring all such things before the Lord. But just as an example of some samplings of what are some requests that we should be bringing before God as an example in Scripture. We can think of the beginning of the Lord's Prayer. Hallowed be your name. What does that mean? It's a request that we want to see God's name glorified. When His name hallowed and respected. As holy as it is. We should be praying that God's name would be glorified. Or to take our cue from the Apostle Paul as we pray for other believers, one another. We should be praying that one another grows spiritually. That we would grow in our knowledge of the Lord. That we would grow in our ability to, to produce good fruit in our lives. It's absolutely remarkable that in all the prayers of Paul, for all the churches that he writes to, he never once prays for a change of circumstances. And yet many of them are in persecution situations. I'm not saying it's wrong to change for pray for a change of circumstances, but we need to understand what the biblical emphasis is. It's on the hearts of the people in the midst of the circumstances. And yet, so often our prayers are for change of circumstances. We should also want to pray that the gospel would go forth and that people would be saved and come to know Jesus Christ. Paul asked for that kind of prayer. That God would open a door for the word. We should be praying those kinds of prayers as well. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. That God would raise up laborers for this harvest. That God would use us to be laborers for that harvest. So the health of our praying as a church will depend on whether our prayers are shaped by the word of God or simply if we bring whatever our desires want to the table. We must be concerned with what concerns God. And again, so much can so much of our requests, like you take, take a group of requests that are given in a small group, so much of those requests sometimes can be about the circumstances in our lives, which again aren't wrong, but, but we need to get beyond that. So your request is, well, I'm just really busy at work right now. Well, but we want to know, how is your heart in the midst of that busyness? How is that challenging you to trust God more? How, where's the battle of faith in the midst of your business? Or maybe um, health concerns. Those can often be on our prayer requests, and rightly so. But again, these bodies are wasting away. The most important thing is the inner man, that that be continually built up day after day, even though the outer man is wasting away. And so in the midst of your request for, for health and for healing, how is your heart in the midst of how can I be praying for your walk with God in the midst of this health battle and health crisis? And maybe begin to ask people, yes, pray that I would be healed of this, but also pray that I would trust God through this. Even the way that we ask for requests needs to change. And so this is just a sampling of what it means for us to pray biblically, that our prayers would be shaped by the Bible for the right purpose.
Lastly this morning, the way, fourth way that we can improve our praying is that we pray in Christ. We pray in Christ. Now we all come to faith in Jesus through prayer. A prayer in one sense is that first activity of a Christian. If we believe with our heart that Jesus is Lord and we need to repent of our sins, who do we repent to? We repent to God, which means that we pray to Him. And so, as a Christian, so like a newborn babe, we come out crying, crying out to God. That's how we begin our walk of faith. And it continues that way. That's how repentance and faith is expressed. And so from the moment of salvation, then, there's this relationship between the believer and God. And it's through Christ and His work that the Christian is able to have communion with the Lord. And so therefore, it is natural for the Christian to pray. It's, it's like breathing for the Christian. This is what we do. We know the living God, and so we talk to the living God, and the living God speaks to us through the Word, and we're just constantly throwing our cares upon Him and talking with Him about this, that, and the other thing. We pray, we pray about everything. Because we're, we continue steadfastly in prayer. But like the initial breath of the Christian faith, so praying all through the Christian life is only possible because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Friends, you weren't saved by the gospel and then left out on your own to simply figure out this walk with God. No, the gospel, the good news, is that Jesus provides for you not only at the beginning of your Christian life, but for every step along the way. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through Him, both initially and eternally. It is through Him that we are believers in God. Now Jesus, our great example, as we've already talked about how He showed us how to pray, He teaches us to, to pray our Father. Right? The beginning of the Lord's Prayer, our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be your name. This is the Father that Jesus intimately knows. This is the Father who shared, this is the, uh, Jesus shared glory with His Father before the world existed. And the Father deeply loves the Son. And yet, by faith in Jesus Christ, we can know that same love through Jesus. The Father loves us as he loves the Son. We're able to have fellowship with God the Father, with the Son, Jesus Christ. You and I are able to call God Father. And it's because we're in Christ that God changes from being our judge to being our Father. And therefore, we don't shrink away from the throne. We can go to the throne of grace with confidence because we have a great high priest who sympathizes with our weaknesses. Father is open-armed to us. And it's knowing the fact that we are a child of God that really opens up this understanding of going to God every day, all the time. And so when we, when I say pray in Christ, what do I mean? I mean, number one, that we rest in our identity in Him. We don't try to earn our place before God in our praying. We are praying, hoping that God pays attention to us, hoping that God loves us in some way. We are already accepted in Jesus. And we simply pray to Him because we are accepted. We don't pray to try to get acceptance. That's a gospel of works. It's a false gospel. It's not Christian. 
The Christian gospel is to pray in light of the fact that we are in Jesus. We have access to the Father in Him. But secondly, we bring our burdens and requests to Jesus. We bring our burdens and requests to Jesus. He is our great high priest who sympathizes with our weaknesses. He is the one who died, who rose again, who ascended to the right hand of the throne of God, and now intercedes for you and for me. We have an advocate before the Father. Who brings our needs and requests before Him. And sometimes we don't know what to pray for, and the Spirit helps us in those prayers. But the point is, we have no excuse for not living our sonship fully. We are children of God. Let's take advantage of that and go before our Father. Folks, Jesus is a friend for the weary hearted. He's a friend to the grieving hearted. He's a friend for the frightened. He's a friend for the anxious. He's a friend for the burdened. He's a friend for each one of us. And we can bring our prayers to him if only we would ask. I don't know what's weighing on your soul this morning, but I know that whatever it is, you can take it to Jesus in prayer and find blessing and peace. Well, I think a great way for us to seal these truths into our souls is to sing the song, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. And so I invite you to stand as we close our service this morning, singing this song.